0: Today's scripture comes from Colossians 3, 1-4, and Romans 6, 1-11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In Romans 6, 1-11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're in part four of Union with Christ. Today's message is all of the benefits of Christ in you. The operative word today is all, all of his benefits, okay? And um, so let's get into it. Part one, faith in all of Christ's benefits. Not just in some, not just in one, but in all of his benefits, okay? Faith in all of Christ's benefits is part one. Part two, renaming sin in order to kill it in you, okay? Renaming sin in order to kill it in yourself, okay? That's what I want to talk about today. Because this passage today is talking about you're no longer under the dominion of sin and death, that means you have the power united to Christ to name that sin and kill it. So let's rename sin and kill it. Part three, from slave to son in union with Jesus. From slave to son in union with Jesus. Okay? So before we get into today's passage, what I want to do is go back to a portion um, I want to get back to a point that I made in last week's message. Um, I actually really like this. You guys are a little closer. I can see your faces even though I can only see your eyes. Okay? And, um, and so, but I want to return to a point I was talking about last week, which is one of the problems that we tend to have is we tend to like some benefit that we have from Jesus. We get tired of trying to grow as a new person, which the Bible calls sanctification. And then we, get, we can get cynical, and then we can just try to retreat back into the world and, our, and, and the hopes that we tend to have in the world and the, the comforts that we tend to have. And, um, and I want to take you to, back to a quote which I gave you last week where John Calvin says that we are united to the whole Jesus. And when he says this, instead, what we tend to do is like try to only take some piece of benefit from him, but not the other, right? And so uh, let's go to this quote, right? So let's revisit this quote. This is Institutes of the Christian Religion, one of the most important books of theology ever, ever written. And this is book three, uh, part, part, part 16.1. All right, this is how he, what he says. Although we may distinguish them, that is justification and sanctification. These are two of the most important benefits that we have from Jesus, that he has won for us and that are ours if you've given your life to Jesus, okay? Although we may distinguish justification and sanctification, Christ contains both of them inseparably in himself. Do you wish then to attain righteousness in Christ? Do you you want to get justification to be credited with righteousness? You must first possess Christ. But you cannot possess him without being made partaker in his sanctification in the way that he makes you holy, in the way he's going to grow you in in fuller and fuller into the person you're intended to be. Because he cannot be divided into pieces. See, if you get the whole Christ, you get all of justification. If you get the whole Christ, you get all of justification and you get sanctification. You can't just take one without the other. This is the point that Calvin is trying to make. Since therefore... It is solely by expending himself that the Lord gives us these benefits to enjoy. He bestows both of them at the same time, the one never without the other. Thus, it is clear how true it is that we are justified, not without works, yet not with through works. Oh, maybe I didn't give you all that. Let me just finish that. Since in our sharing in Christ, which justifies us, sanctification is just as much included as righteousness. Okay. Let me take you to one other quote. So this is a contemporary theologian. Um, and, it's, and he's also teaching on union with Christ. And he's very much following. Um, John Calvin. This is the way he puts it. This is Marcus Peter Johnson. He's a professor of theology at Moody Bible Institute. Well, which is in Chicago. Okay. And here's the way he puts it. Christ is our justification. And he is no less our sanctification. Thus, united to him, we are not only forgiven and accounted righteous, that's justification, we are also transformed into his holy image, that's sanctification. In giving us himself, Christ will no more leave us condemned and guilty, which is to say unjustified, than he will leave us corrupted and depraved, that is unsanctified. Let me just read that again. In giving us himself, that is the person, you're united to Christ. When you get salvation, you don't just get something from Jesus. You get Jesus. In giving us himself, Christ will no more leave us condemned and guilty, that is unjustified, than he will leave us corrupted and depraved, unsanctified. That is, this is because, as Calvin so incisively put it, Christ cannot be divided into pieces. Institutes, book 3, 16, 1.1. Okay? Jesus is not a partial savior of a piecemeal gospel. When we are joined to Christ, we receive all who he is for us. Okay? And I want to say something about this. Let's go back. There's many, many different benefits that we have. I talked about this. Like, um, you know, you go through life and um, maybe the economy starts to tank. And you need a friend who's going to protect your job, maybe even give you a promotion. And so you won't sink into debt. And then your wife won't be disappointed with you or get super stressed out and you lose your house. You know what's the benefit we want? We want Jesus to be our friend, right? It's a beautiful friend. It's a beautiful benefit. But there's three big ones. And this is one of the really great things about the Bible. All, it's like every benefit you could possibly want comes through Jesus. We tend to be fixated on certain kind of worldly things, you know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, like, uh, you know, the, the things we ever get fixed, I, I need to make it forward in my life and then I'll have manliness, or oh, I, want, I, I want my children to turn out just great and then I'll be a really good mom, right? And so then we get very fearful about all the things that, 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 that threaten these kinds of things. And we don't get, we don't typically tend to think about something like justification. Or we don't tend to think about something like sanctification. And yet the world is constantly going about. And you know what the world, so let's just say your friends your friends who don't believe in Jesus, or if you're listening to this message today and you don't believe in Jesus, you, you may not think, what in the world is this justification thing? (laughs) And why does that matter? Isn't it some, some kind of like church, Christianese, blah, blah, that these religious people get all hung up about? And yet, you know, if they go out into the world and if they say this little misstep about culture and race, immediately they're worried that people will find them guilty of racism. And if you get guilty of racism, you can get canceled. And if you have a, if you have a reputation of being a racist, you know what that is? That's today's, that's today's like worst sin. So today, the worst thing you can be is a racist. But that's like saying you're a sinner in the 21st century religion. Right? So you know what, you, what we want? When we are judged and accounted, and when we go out into the world, we want justification. is what we want. We want justification for being accounted as a racist because that's like the dirty and depraved of the 21st century of secular American religion. And so guess what? They don't use this word justification, but when we go out into the world, we want people to say, no, that person's not a racist. That person's good. That person really loves people of different races and ethnicities. There's no way that's true. And somewhat we want other people, like if you get accused of that, we want someone to come along and clear your name and count you as righteous and then that and then your name goes forward justified. See, that's that's a benefit that even all the folks in our time they're looking for, they just don't know it. So just you go walk through your life. I mean, people are deathly afraid today of being unjustified <laughs> to walk in a state where you are condemned. Where you are guilty, where you are ashamed instead. So like that's one of the most basic, you know, it was one of the most basic benefits that we get from Jesus. Except that in justification, you know, the, the, the most important person who has to see you as not depraved is God. It's not, all these, what all these other people think about you, Christian, if you believe in Jesus, let me tell you something. What all these people think about you, it doesn't really matter. You're like, well, well, I could get fired for it. That's true. And and then then my friends might abandon me. That's true. But the most important verdict on you has already done. In fact, it's even more important than the verdict you put on yourself. "I'm, I'm I'm not a good mom. Or I'm a terrible husband. Or I must just be a big loser in this world because, you know, I can't seem to get the job I want and nobody values me. So like that's the, the world's verdict on you. This is the, your verdict on yourself. But actually, you know, every single one of your friends could leave you and hate you, your boss, your company, and you can go poor. But if you're justified through Christ, the most important person sees you as beloved and, and just before himself, see? Now, here's the big point I want to make today. There's three important, there's three important. So like, there's all these different benefits. And yet, God is so kind to us. He kind of like simplifies it down to three huge ones. And in Christ, you get all three of these. And I would say this is a real important key in this series. We have the part four. And here's, if you want to like, okay. Like, if you want to, if you're going to remember something from this series, Bing, 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 bing. Highlight, highlight, highlight. Right here. Apply and believe and embrace all the benefits. Get all of Jesus. And when you have all of Jesus, don't just take one benefit versus the other. So I surely hope you want to be justified. So you want, you want like, if you did something bad this past week, you know, that's been washed by the blood of Jesus. When Jesus, when God sees you, he's going to see that in the cleanness of Jesus, not in the dirtiness of you. The dirtiness of you has been washed by the blood of Jesus. Justification. And that's so important that if if a Christian doesn't even have this basic thing, I would say that that Christian is a scared Christian, is a legalistic Christian. It's almost not a Christian. (laughs) And so this benefit must go deep inside of you. But... You know, here are the other two that are really really important. Sanctification, which John Calvin talks about. And the third one I would say is adoption. Those are the three that theologians really tend to emphasize. Justification, sanctification, adoption. And what's sanctification? So that you're not going to just keep fumbling and falling down. You, You actually will have victory over that sin. You actually will be cleaner and more humble, and more loving, and more generous, and more forgiving, just more joyful, more, I mean, all this stuff that's actually going to become true of you, can you believe that that's actually going to be true of you? And it's not because Jesus is up there, and you have to just keep trying harder down here. This is the thing that I want you to get from this series today, is that Jesus isn't up there. Jesus is in here, and his total sanctification is not up there. It's in here. If you are united to him, All of his holy sanctification is not up there. It's in here. Because you are united to Christ. And he is no longer under sin and the dominion of sin and death. And then all his victory is in here. And here's the third thing. You no longer are, you know, I've been trying to say to the beginning, whoever you think you are, you're building it on whatever your experience of yourself is. But Jesus is the son of God. And you know what you get when you get Jesus? You get his sonship. And that sounds a little strange, especially if you're you're a woman. You're like, I get sonship. Actually, sonship means you get everything that Jesus has. And women get it too. (laughs) You know, you're, you're talking about a culture where women often got less. But you know what sonship is saying? Women get everything the son has. His name his privileges, all his honor, and all his infinite love. That's yours. It's adoption. So here's the first thing I want you to to go. Take all of them. And what we have is what we tend to do is we tend to believe in, in, in in the gospel in some kind of like poor and piecemeal way. Part of it is because sometimes we just have poor theology. Maybe you were taught well. Or maybe you were taught poorly. Hopefully in this church you were taught well, okay? If you've been in our church. But even if you were taught well, guess what? We, we don't tend to apprehend it well. I was taught really well. But it was like much of my life, it was like the sanctification part. You know, as a young man, it's kind of like it didn't really live. It was always sanctification by my works. Not sanctification by union with Christ. See, this is why I care about this so much. I know that many of you, you're like, okay, I think it's very hard even just get people to believe in justification that somebody else has justified you, right? But then, even when people, when people believe that, we get tired, and then we're like, sure, if we can embrace sanctification. One of the key things of this series is, I want you to embrace the justification, and now it's not on you, and now embrace the sanctification, because you've got your justification and the sanctification, And then you know what your sanctification also can flow out of? Because you're not a worker. You're not not a religion. You're not a law keeper. You're not a person that's out there that's trying to do better. You know what you are? You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a daughter who has every right as a son. And can you begin to apply and hold all of them? And so when you get to hold all of them together, because it's not far from you, it's in you you're going to start living a very, very different kind of life if you start to think about yourself in this framework, okay? That's part one. Let's go to part two. Let's go to to the Romans chapter 6 text. And I want to go over this portion, which we haven't really hit yet. Verse 5. Verse 5 is a spot-on statement of union with Christ. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's union with Christ. I've been saying this for multiple weeks now. You are united in his death and his resurrection, the full of every fullness of everything he's done for you. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we all will also live with him. Now let me, let me, let me um, unpack this just a little bit here. I want to just return to this idea. What's most true of you? And last week I said this, <laughs> this I hope it didn't sound too obnoxious that I hate postmodernity. Postmodernity is the philosophical idea that we don't know if we have access to ob- what's objectively real or what's objectively true. So everybody just lives inside of subjective narrative. You just only have a story and then we just get together and then there's groups of people that believe in the same story. This is why America's at each other's throats. We have a left-wing story narrative, we have a right-wing story narrative. And there's no objective reality. And the left-wing people hate all the right-wing narrative. And the right-wing people hate all the left-wing narrative. And then we people just build their identity inside the left-wing narrative. And some people build their identity in the right-wing narrative. It's all subjective without objective. And then you know what? We do a version of this in your own life. You're running your own life. You're not sure if there's a God. You're not even sure what, what exactly is even truth. Objective truth, that sounds kind of quaint, modernist. I'm telling you, it's not modernist. If you don't have objective truth, you're just completely lost. And then there there was this old phrase in the past, you know, like, I'm glad that's worked for you, but that's your truth, I have my truth. Let me just say that, I've said this to you, you know, for if you've been in my church, and, you know, listen to me, that's just another way of saying, you have your lies, and I have my lies. That's why I hate postmodernity. It's all lies. You can call it truth, but just change that word from truth to lies. and It's the same. It's exactly the same thing. If you're living in a story of your own making and only the culture has taught it to you and whoever you think you are that you're trying to do and you have your own little story that you're living in, let me tell you something. You're just lost. You're lost in Lies. And it doesn't matter if you're the one telling it to yourself. So it's like, that's even crazier. You're telling yourself lies to yourself to wreck yourself. So let's put it this way. This is telling you the truth. A lot of, when I was growing up, I used to read these passages and tend to think of them as kind of like, I don't know, like metaphorical or something, right? Um, It was like, well, you know, he died, those who've died, and now we're going to live, and then those who died. And I never really understood that this was actually telling you objective truth. So let's go here. Um, We know that uh, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If we have died with Christ, let me ask you this question. Have you have died with Christ? If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you have. That's a fact. That's an objective fact of your life. Let me just um, go back to the beginning of our series. This is Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, have been raised with Christ, past tense, then you should think, seek the things that are above. Right? Verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So he didn't say, well, there's some kind of metaphor and something like you get this feeling that your old self died. No, that's not what he said. You have died. That's an objective fact about you if you gave your life to Jesus and then Jesus gave his life to you. You have died. So you get to Romans chapter 6 now. If we have died with Christ, if we have been united with him in a death like his, verse 5. If we shall certainly be united with him. We know, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that. Here's the thing I want to ask you. Do you know that? Brothers and sisters, do you know that? We know that our old self was crucified with him. See, that's union with Christ. We know that. This is the most objective fact of who you are. Can you believe this? And then out of this comes this whole incredible set of truths that are also true if this is factually true. So I'm a person who always thinks you have to live in the objective truth. And then... Yourself should subjectively perceive that as true and live in the truth and not just live in some BS lie. Now let's talk about what it says here. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be, might be brought to nothing in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So here's what's happening. If you don't have Jesus indwelling you and you're united, you're united to him, that's all you have. You have a body. This body is living. It's a body of sin. And then when you're living, you're enslaved to sin. And what I want to do today is in the 21st century, I want to rename the way we think about sin. A lot of times, people just think sin is like there's this rule. If you break that rule, you're bad because you broke God, you, you broke God's rule. And then people get really angry because we know that there's so many authoritative people. I mean, you know, people with authority in our lives, and they have kind of like mean and and like arbitrary rules. And those rules seem to feel oppressive to us. So then we get we get angry, and then we just want to have no authority. And then we love this idea that there's no rules. There's just only the story that we live in. So that theoretically the only rules you keep are the ones you like it's kind of the, that's the 21st century postmodern way well if you if you live this way let me just tell you what this what the body of sin looks like what the enslavement of sin looks like this is what sin looks like so number 1 there is no lord there's no authority who's your authority it's you <laughs> if you're your authority then you know who the Lord of your life is? It's you. <laughs> so here's the first one. Here's the first naming of sin that I want to give you. Self-lordship. <laughs> the Lord is the self. You know why so many people hate Jesus today or even hate God? Because we don't want anybody to be in charge of our life who ain't me. <laughs> so, you know, like, I'm the God of me. says, <laughs> I'm the God of me. And Jesus is a competing God. We got to kill the competing God. So that's why a lot of people hate Jesus. That's the way it is. It's very spiritual. Because there can never be a competition for whoever is Lord. Whoever is Lord has to be Lord. If someone else wants to be a competing Lord, that, that person's got to go. And the gospel completes is a competing Lord to the sin vision of today, self-lordship. Okay, so you run your own life. Guess what? You're living in the story of your own life. You now know which is like, okay, I'm going to become a star singer. I'm going to become a a great engineer. I'm going to start a company and I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs. Whatever great glory, that's the story that that you have to complete to be fulfilled. Well, guess what? Who's going to make that happen? You. (laughs) You know what that is? That's self salvation. So first you got to be Lord of your own life and now you're going to be Savior of your own life. And so if we, the Christians come along and proclaim Jesus Savior and everybody's like, no, I'm my own Savior. But if you're listening to this message today and you don't know Jesus, let me ask you this question. How is that working? How is that working? Are you saving your life very well? Is it very good to have you as your own Savior? And let me say this to you: If this is the this is the game plan of the one you're living in, you are in the body of sin, and you are enslaved to sin. Self salvation is sin. It's actually one of the biggest sins of today. A lot of people think, oh, you know, like if you if you uh, if 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 you if you like guys sexually, and you're a guy, then you have the sin of homosexuality, and those Christians believe in that sin, and they're bad people for that. And those Christians think that's the worst sin of all. That is not true. We don't think that's the worst sin of all. We, it is clearly a sin, but that's not, it's probably not even the top list. Let me tell you, self-lordship, that's a far worse sin than sexually desiring somebody of the same sex. Not even close. That's not, this thing is like, like a flea bite compared to self-lordship. Self-salvation, oh yeah, that'll get you to hell. (laughs) That will destroy yourself. So if you have no Savior, you are enslaved to sin. But you know what is the pathway out of that? The objective fact that you are united to Christ and your old self has died till now when your old self has been crucified with Christ. You don't have to be in a body of sin and you don't have to be enslaved to sin. Let me give you... uh, Three more. So I'll give you self-lordship. That's a huge sin. Horrible sin. Self-salvation. Huge sin. Horrible sin. We Christians are always going back to it. Even though you're not supposed to be going back to it. And one of the things I, I, I want to take you into this series today is I want to give you a power, which is union with Christ. And the biggest objective fact of your life So that every time you start operating inside, I've got to save my own life. I've got to save my own. I'm in charge of my own life. I don't have to listen to anybody else. I don't have to listen to the pastor. I don't listen to the Bible. I don't have to listen to the God. Then you can go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is wickedness. I'm enslaved to sin. This is enslavement to sin. But I don't have to be that way. Because the biggest fact about me is I've been Freed united to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Three more names for sin. So, if somebody, if you think, somebody accuses you of being bad, you know what you gotta do? You're gonna do better. You will be good, and thus you will clear your name. Self-justification. Not justification by grace through Jesus coming in and washing you and justifying you. You're going to justify yourself by your own works. And so, prove you are good. Self-justification. And if you aren't united to Jesus, that's the only kind of justification there is. Self-justification. And you can just get, you want a guess, that you can probably guess the next two. Self-sanctification. We don't actually call it that. We typically call it works-righteousness. Works righteousness. And you know, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians. And they don't actually live inside of the sanctification from Jesus. And here's what it looks like. So they start to obey Jesus more. And it looks like on the outside, they're a really good Christian. And then they look, they look like, hey, I'm doing really, really well. I'm obeying more than that schmuck over there. So then you start to get puffed up with pride based on your your you know, works, so you think you're, you know, you're being bigger and better in your sanctification, but the real telltale sign is you look down and you despise other people. The, the, the sin of pride is being puffed up because the sin of pride flows right out of self-sanctification. So we do works righteousness... And then the sin of pride comes out because now we're in the body of sin and enslaved to sin. That's how it comes out. And we're calling ourselves Christians. But we're not really being Christians at all. We're being Pharisees. But as soon as you go, wait a second. You know, I will obey. But my obedience was always half-hearted and weak. The real holiness is mine because Jesus indwells me and his, his heart will start to grow in me. It's never because I'm so good and better than that other person. In fact, I may have a better education. Maybe I make more money. I even obey I pay better than that other person. That person might be a drug dealer. That person may be like someone really wretched in our society. That person could be a racist. But you know what? I'm not better than the racist. I'm not better than the racist. The sanctification by grace so let's not do self-sanctification that's another sin and here's a third one and this is huge today identity construction from the self Self self-identity construction so these are all the various different ways that if you do not have the whole Jesus, then we go out in the world. And so a person can be like, I'm a good Christian. I believe in justification. So you're like, you just, you don't, you don't feel pride. that So you're not a legalist and you're not, you're, you're, okay, you don't even, you try to even grow as a Christian and you don't take pride in that and then judge other people. So you have salvation by grace, holy through union with Christ, justification, You have salvation by grace, holy through, you know, sanctification through Jesus. And if you have this, by the way, you're pretty good, right? So many Christians, I would say, like, if you really are receiving justification and sanctification by grace, by faith, my goodness, you're doing pretty good. But then, you know, a lot of Christians, here's where a lot of Christians fall. But now I have to go build my worth and my name and my identity on my works. So Sunday, you're a pretty good Christian. Maybe even Monday night, when your husband is really aggravating or your children is really aggravating, you, you, can, you, have, you have justification and sanctification. But then on Tuesday morning, when work rolls around, fear, like your pride and all this stuff, because your name is at stake. Your identity is at stake. Your career is at stake and your career is your source for your name and your identity. Self-identity construction, not the identity we have from Jesus who indels us. So the reason I say all these three, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to give you some, I'm kind of, I know I'm throwing a big kitchen sink at you. I'm giving you a huge theology and if you could fight These five sins. You know what we have to do? Jesus is yours. This is a fact. It is a fact. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that. Since we know that, then the body of sin that's you, it can go away. You are not under the dominion of sin and death and now there's a power inside of you because Christ indwells you to throw that and you could kill that sin and you can go live inside the newness of the way the Lord is making you and has made you, okay? Now I want to close this message by giving you a picture of it. I'm giving you a lot of theology I know and it's really, really important, and I hope you will take it in. And I hope you'll actually re-listen to this message. I mean, maybe if, if like, it's like hard to take in, you're like, I'll just listen to part one. Or later, you'll just only listen to part two. But if you could take this all, and you take the whole Christ, and not try to break him up into pieces. But let me try to give you a picture. This will help you. <laughs> try to say the gospel to you in a picture. Last week, I gave you this picture like this. Um, there this, There was this boy, he's Chinese, and he was an orphan. No father, no mother. And he was born and he grew up in an orphanage in China. And he was just one forgotten kid among many and he was skinny and never got enough to eat. Some dear friends of ours, you know, Dear friends of ours, Craig and Judy Krasinski adopted this boy, right? And at the beginning, he would just devour everything that he ate. And what I said to you was, in, in so many ways, you and I are, are William Krasinski. The world says you're nothing. It's just that Will, little William was hungry in his body. And said, so today, we are hungry in our souls, and the world tells us we're nothing and the world withholds food and the world says the food of worth, the food of justification and sanctification. And we go out into the world hungry and afraid and then we go into self-lordship, self-salvation. We seek self-justification, self-sanctification and self Self-identity construction. But if you actually could know little William's heart, and you could speak to him, you said, "In the future, you're going to live in a beautiful house, and there will never be not enough food, And you're going to have an unbelievable education, and you're going to become a glorious person, and nothing could stop that from happening. Could that little boy have believed that? But that's you and me. And today I want to just give you one more picture. I'm going to give you one more picture. To give you the gospel a little differently. Right? And I, I close this last word. Slave to son in union with Jesus. So here's what this passage says. Right? Verse 6. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved. So one of the things, if you get union with Christ, you cannot, you're not a slave. So don't act like a slave. Don't think like a slave. Don't operate like a slave. Take all of the benefits. Take the justification, the sanctification, and then now your sonship in Jesus. And use all three to break the enslavement. Here's a picture I want to give you. Um, have any of you heard of a movie called uh, Ben Hur? Anyone ever heard of this movie? <laughs> Anyone ever watched this movie? <laughs> ben Hur, right? Okay. So some of you guys who are younger, you probably never watched this movie. And if you haven't watched this movie, you're lame. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I just I say that lovingly, not insultingly. Okay. You should watch this movie. It's an all-time great movie. Okay. And I want to tell you, this. The, the, the way I want to close this is telling you a little bit about the main character. The main character, the story of this movie, it's a long movie. You might want to, it literally has an intermission, okay? I mean, it's strange. You watch this movie, and then there's like actually a break. You might want to watch it in two sittings, okay? Um, it's fine. Um, but it's worth it. It's an epic movie. And it's a story of... A man, he, he, he's an upper-class nobleman, and he's Jewish, and he's living He's living in the time of Christ. He's living in Roman times. And his name is Judah Ben-Hur, all right? And the way the story opens, he, you know, he's a righteous man, he's good, he's got a beautiful family. And then his best friend, who was Roman comes back, you know, he leaves, he comes back, there's wonderful reunion, but his best friend is hungry to make his name, self-identity construction, <laughs> to, 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 to rise up under Rome and gain power and riches and wealth and fame. That's what his best friend is seeking to do. And then since he is a Jewish nobleman in this very kind of disruptive people, these, these Jews are disruptive people and are a pain in the butt to the Romans. He wants to come back to his friends and ask his friends help to kind of get the Jewish people kind of, you know, like cooperative. And then his name will rise up. But, but he says, but, uh, I, but the Romans are repressive and they murder my people. And they, their friendship has a break. And this guy who used to be his best friend slanders him. And then, and because he's powerful now, he imprisons his family and he gets sold off into slavery. He gets sold into slavery. That's, the, that's how this, the, the drama of this movie begins. So now he's in this world. He used to have uh, uh, wealth and respect and he probably still even believed in God. And then the world came in and it broke him and, and all this bad stuff came into his life. And maybe you could relate to that. There's so many young people today, and sometimes they're not even that young. Maybe they had a mom or a grandmother who believed in Jesus and took them to church. And they had this belief that there was a God, and they they even longed for God. And then they went out into the world, and the world says all that stuff was just nonsense and fiction, and you were brainwashed. And what the real thing is, you're Lord of your own life. You should save your own life. And you don't need all those rules and you don't need church and you certainly don't need this gospel person, Jesus. Well, so in Judah (laughs) Ben-Hur, it's strange because it's a story of ancient Rome and ancient Israel, but it feels so very contemporary to me. And so he becomes a slave to Rome. And then there's this remarkable sequence. He gets put into this uh, rowing ship And, you know, he has to go into these ships. And so back then, you know, if they, there'd be these competing armies and navies because a lot of the military prowess came through the seas and there's a a group of people that are warring against Rome. And so he is on this, you know, this battleship and then he's one of these guys that's got a crazy row and, you know, it's played by Charlton Nelson. He's just, you know, he's like buff dude and, and. The guy who gets on this ship, this, is, this turns out to be the flagship in the battle. And the guy who comes on, he's, he's, he's this Roman nobleman and he's in the military because back then the noblemen were also in the military and they would fight for the glory of Rome. And he comes down and he looks at all the different slaves and all of them, they look they look kind of like, they look all beaten down, but this guy has like strength and power in him. And when he sees him, this is what he says. He's, he actually, I forget the name. He's like 43. He's like 43. He's like, what's with you? He actually calls a man. And he says, the reason you live and the reason he has power to live is because he's filled with hate. His purpose in life is to get out of this Roman enslavement and to kill the guy who was his former best friend And vengeance is actually the thing that's like the energy in his life. And this guy says to him, well, keep hating and row well for Rome. And so I want to ruin everything. But what happens, they have this battle. There a series of events. It looks like they're about to lose the the battle. But Judah Ben-Hur actually saves this Roman nobleman's life. And this Roman nobleman thinks that they're going to lose the battle. So he pulls out a sword while they're like floating in the water to kill himself. And instead, Judah Benner grabs the sword away from him and forces him to to live. But then shockingly, he finds out later on when they're rescued from the water that they won the battle and they won a great victory. And this Roman nobleman says, because of this you. Like, I guess your God wanted to save your life. He decided to save me and save even our, our, uh, our uh, win, win the battle. And later on, here's what happens. So, this guy's name is Quintus Arius. I think this is not, no, he, I forget his, I think he names him Quintus Arius. All right. He adopts, he adopts, he adopts Judah Ben Hur. And here's what he gets he's no longer a criminal. And all the things that he was charged with, they just get wiped clean. You know what that is? It's justification. And then he has this newfound strength. And he has all of the wealth. Because this guy is rich now. And so when he finally goes and visits his old enemy, he has this ring which has this new identity. So he has all the wealth and he has all the power. You know what that's like? That's like all the worthiness of sanctification. And then when he goes and finally, you know, like um, confronts his old enemy and his old enemy says like, how, co- how did this happen? Cause he doesn't, cause like this guy like is offering me this great gold gift and he's like, who the heck is this guy? He doesn't know that it's actually his old Jewish friend because now he has a Roman name because now he has a new identity and he has a ring that signet ring of identity. So now here is this man. He was a slave in the Roman ships. And now when he walks around, he has all his crimes have been wiped away. All the riches of who he is are his. And he has this new name and he walks in that new name. And here's the way I want to close this message. He got this because he was living in a time when the most powerful empire in the world was Rome. And finally he got this benefactor and he got a union with this new benefactor and he gets all of the powers of his justification and of his sanctification, of his worth, worthiness, and of his new identity. One thing, but what I want to say to you today is Who in the world is this Roman nobleman? Back then, if you could have everything that Judah Ben-Hur got, everything that Judah Ben-Hur got, you'd have been like, now, I mean, that guy got a great life. And a lot of times when people watch this movie, you know what they think? They're like, wow, you know, like that's, like that's the the happy ending of this movie. He gets all of it. But actually, that's not true. I'm going to kind of turn the, the wheels on you. He got a justification and a sanctification and a new identity from this Roman nobleman. But inside, you know what? He was still with hate and resentment and bitterness. And his sister and his mother were still under oppression. And then the way the movie closes is he has to meet somebody who is better is this Roman nobleman who would give him a better name than Quintus Arius, whatever that name, that Roman name that he gets. And the person who's better than that is Jesus. The movie is Ben-Hur. And you know what the subtitle of the movie is? A Story of the Christ. You know, you can get all kinds of benefits in the world. But there's one who is a king from an everlasting kingdom? And he is not far away. At the end of the movie, his Roman benefactor is like not even near him, but Jesus is near you. And all his benefits are in you. And they're not gonna just only be good in Rome, or only good in America, and only good in the 21st century, or only go in the first century. They're good forever and nobody could take it from you not even you not even you you can't even fail it because Jesus has set up shop to indwell you and even when you're running away from indwelling him he will not leave and all his benefits are in you and he will not stop until you fully know that you have all of it all of Jesus, and you cannot break it. So brothers and sisters, could you live in that? Live in all of those things, all of the justification, all of the sanctification, all of the power, and take all those sins and kill it. And live in the newness. You'll be like more powerful and more glorious and better than Judah Ben-Hur because the one who is in you is far greater than a Roman nobleman pray. Lord, we live in the world and the world only knows the body of sin and even the things that the world thinks are so important. All of its blessings and all of its promises and all our hopes seeking that self-lordship. Self-salvation. And that I'm going to get out there and I will justify myself. I will make my own identity. These are of no hope. But you live in us. The greatest hero isn't Judah Ben-Hur. It's not even me that we are not the hero of our story and of our life. That the true hero the true Redeemer has come to indwell us and make us one with him, and that is you, Jesus. And you give us the benefits in your death and resurrection that will never fade and never be corrupted, and never taken away. And I pray that we could learn to apply and live and believe by faith, not by earning it, by faith, that identity from Christ is ours that growing and being renewed is ours, that sl- enslavement we can throw away and crucify on the cross with you. I pray that your word would go deep into our heart and reshape us. And if there's any one of my brothers and sisters here today who, are, who believe in you, and today they're sitting there thinking like, oh my goodness, can I ever really, really change? And they don't believe that could truly change, help them receive sanctification by union with Christ. If today we, there's someone out there who may even not even believe in you, they're trying to do self-construction, self-identity construction. Today, would you speak to them and say that you offer them yourself to come and dwell them, and give them a new identity and sonship through you, Lord? Mm-hmm. And so we pray that these promises the whole Christ, the fullness of all of your benefits that your people today would respond to you, believe in them, embrace them. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will grow in them and become beloved and beautiful like you, Jesus. We pray in your name.
0: Amen.